0: Amen. Good morning, Maple Grove. Good morning. All right, awesome. And uh, little children can uh, meet Courtney and Maylee back at the sign there, and uh, have some fun outside, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And uh, I'd like to read some words that uh, Paul put the paper two thousand years ago. As we start off, they're true then, and they're still true today. And I disappeared from those at home. This is not your TV. I'm back. Don't you realize, 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and 27, don't you realize that in a race everyone runs and only one person gets the prize. So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but... We do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should do. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Disqualified. Heavenly Father, we, God, we just humbly come before you, and God, I just pray, Lord, uh, no matter what our past 24 hours, uh, past seven days were like, no matter what we're facing the rest of the day, rest of this week, this month, this year, God, that you allow us just to breathe out the world just for a bit to make our hearts and minds open to you. Father, this life that we're in, Paul says, it's like a race, a race that we're running, a race that we must train and discipline for. And and Father, if Paul himself was concerned about being called to step aside, Lord, in this race, God, I pray that we will lean into your word so that we can run our race well and not be disqualified. God, help me to speak in a way that brings you honor and glory. Uh, May your word that is alive and active accomplish everything you want it to accomplish today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's do this. Week eight in our series, Such Things Were Written. Our, Our theme verse is still the same. Such things were written long ago to teach us. They give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises. Now, it doesn't happen often, which is a good thing, but occasionally we'll be watching the news and a report will come on telling us of a plane that has crashed. And it's always disturbing to see all the debris and all the wreckage that spread out all over the place and, and, and to think about the hundreds of lives that were lost and the hundreds of more lives that were impacted because of that loss. And whenever a plane crashes, the NTSB, the National Transportation Safety Board, and the FAA, they try to figure out what happened. Like, what went wrong? What caused this plane to go down? And they always go looking for something called the what? Anybody know the black box? Do you know that the black box isn't black? You know what color it actually is? It's it's orange, right? It's bright orange probably so that people can find it a lot easier. And inside that black box is the data that will tell the story of what happened to the plane. And listen, when they, when they look at that black box, what they're trying to figure out is, hey, what went wrong, and what can we do to make sure that it never happens again? And in a way, that's what we've been doing occasionally in this series, Such Things Were Written. Uh, for instance, when we're looking at the Israelites wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, God's delivered people. Like, like what went wrong? You know, why did that happen? And, and what lessons can we learn for it so that it doesn't happen to us? As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul's talking about that wilderness wandering, and he says this about it. He says, these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come, so that if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. And and so today in a conversation I'm calling Refuse to Fade, we're going to look at the black box of a a guy named Solomon, who, who had a really, 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 really good start. However, in the end, he crashed and he burned, leaving debris, wreckage, and carnage all over the landscape of his life. Such things were written in the past to teach us, They give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises. These things were written down as examples and warnings for us in whom the culmination of the ages has come. Now, in 1 Kings chapter 11, we, we, we get a description of, of that wreckage, some of that wreckage. 1 Kings chapter 11. Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely. As David, his father, had done. On the hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable god of, Moloch, of Moab, and for Moloch, the detestable god of the Ammonites. He did the same for all his foreign wives, who burned incense and offered sacrifices to their gods. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, since this is your attitude and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees, which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. I understand that there was wreckage and debris everywhere on every high place, and I mean, it's kind of disappointing because this is Solomon, right? And here we have Solomon building places of worship for foreign gods. We have Solomon following these same foreign gods. And then we have God saying, you know what, Solomon, I'm going to tear the kingdom away from you. It's going to be torn apart. And for centuries, God's people would suffer because of it. Death, the brain, destruction everywhere. And listen, to Solomon as an old man is beginning to crawl through that wreckage that had become his life. He wrote these words in his journal, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 2 and 8. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless. Everything is wearisome, beyond description. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content, meaningless, wearisome, never satisfied, Not content. It it doesn't seem like a pleasant place to be. And so the question, the question that I want to ask is, like, how did Solomon get there, right? You know, what happened? How did he wind up at a place like this? I mean, he had such a great start. A guy named Steve Farrar writes, in the Christian life, it's not how you start that matters, it's how you finish. Amen, that's true, right? Another Steve wrote this. <laughs> a good start means nothing if your finish is lousy, right? You know, it, it means nothing. Okay, I, I want to talk about his start, let you know how, how high he was flying, what a great beginning he had. Number one, he had a great dad. And listen, fathers are important in raising your children. And I know that in our media in our culture, and in some current political movements, uh, they are trying to minimize and do away with the importance of fathers in the home. Don't really need them if you got a, if you got a community, right? You don't really need them. I'm here to tell you that they're wrong. Uh, number one, because God says they're wrong, right? That's how, not how God designed it. And number one, the, the statistics say that they're wrong. This is just some, Right? Children who grow up without a father, five times more likely to live in poverty and commit crime, nine times more likely to drop out of school, 20 times more likely to end up in prison. So are fathers important, right? I mean, who in their right mind, right, would say, hey, I got a great idea. Let's do away with fathers so that our kids are more likely to commit crime, end up in poverty, drop out of school, and wind up in prison, right? Right? the fatherlessness rate in our country has gone up 400% since 1960. One in every three children do not have a father in their home, right? But Solomon had a, had a great dad. He was born in the family of David. Now, David wasn't perfect. We know that, right? He made a lot of mistakes, but in the final analysis, it's not, what our, it's not our opinion about him that matters. It's God's opinion, and God said this in Acts chapter 13. He said, I found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. And later on in that same chapter, he says of David, David served God's purpose in his own generation. So Solomon had a a dad that really loved God and that really chased after the heart of God. And Solomon also had, had a dad who handed off a kingdom that was in great shape. Number one, they were united under one flag. They had a powerful and respected military. Uh, Number three, the boundaries had expanded from 6,000 to 60,000 square miles. The nation was hungry for God. Solomon's songs of praise could be heard throughout the nation. And they were financially sound, right? Like there was no $26.7 trillion debt hanging over their heads. And again, I'd like to remind us of that trillion is a big number, right? Go back a million seconds, it's 11 days ago. Go back a billion seconds, it's 1987. Go back a trillion seconds, it is 30,000 B.C. It, it, if you were to spend a million dollars a day ever since Christ was born, you'd only spend 730 billion. A trillion dollar bill, as you take them end to end, it would go from L.A. to New York City, stretched out end to end, back and forth, 40,000 times. It would wrap around the earth, a trillion dollar, trillion one dollar bills would wrap around the earth 4,000 times. It would go to the earth and the moon and back 200 times. And it would go from earth to Mars and back again. All right. That's like a big number. So when they throw, hey, you know what, let's get another two trillion. Just realize that's like a really, really big number. Next, he received great advice. You see it. After David had conquered bears and lions and Goliath and Saul and all his enemies, he, fought, he faced an enemy that he could not defeat. He faced death. And as he was getting ready to die, he called his son Solomon into him. And he said this in First Kings chapter 2. He says, I'm about to go the way of all the earth, he said. So be strong. Act like a man and to serve what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him. And keep his decrees and commands, his laws and regulations as written in the law of Moses. First Chronicles 28 records these words, these final words. And Solomon, my son, I love this. First Chronicles 28, 9. And Solomon, my son, learn to know the God of your ancestors intimately. Worship and serve him with your whole heart and a willing mind. For the Lord sees every heart and knows every plan and thought. If you seek him, you'll find him. But if you forsake him, he'll reject you forever. I mean, talk about some great advice, right? Learn to know your God intimately. Worship and serve him with your whole heart. Seek him. Walk in his commands. Uh, Observe his regulations. Be strong and act like a man. He also made a great request. At the age of maybe, you know, 17 or 18, Solomon Became king and and and, uh, and he was kind of freaking out, not knowing what to do. And God appeared to him. He went to Gibeah where the tabernacle was, and he offered a thousand sacrifices when he became king. And the Lord appeared to him and, and said, "Ask for whatever you want me to give you." Imagine that. What would you ask for? Money, long life, defeat all your enemies. A hundred more wishes, right? You know, he says, "Now, Lord, my God." He's seventeen or eighteen at the time. He's not only replacing his rock star dad, but he's been giving a a pretty big deal project, right? Building the place where God's presence will dwell. Now, Lord, my God, you've made your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a little child, and I don't know how to carry out my duties. Your serving is here among the people you have chosen, a a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this people such as yours? He says, God, give me wisdom. I I don't know what I'm doing. I need your help. And and, and God uploaded uh, into Solomon's mind massive amount of knowledge and discernment such that no one then or since has been as wise as Solomon. I mean, Solomon was always the smartest guy in every room. He, he also completed a great project. Like I said, he was going to build the temple of God. It took 180,000 men seven years to build the temple, right? It was completed in the 11th year of Solomon's reign before he was the age of 30. It was an amazing structure. I, I mean, I, I'd love to see it. Scripture goes into great detail about its construction, um, yeah, we, we, we won't take time to do that, but just one little piece of trivia. How much gold do you think was in the temple, Solomon's temple? 100,000 talents of gold. One talent equals 75 pounds. So that would be 3,750 tons or 120 million ounces of gold. Gold currently goes at 1,956 Dollars an ounce. So that would be $235 billion worth of gold in the temple. That's pretty crazy, let alone all the other valuable stuff that went inside there. But as impressive as the structure was, the most impressive thing about it was not the building, but whose presence dwelt in it. And we read this in Second Chronicles chapter 5, beginning at verse 7. Now, there's thousands of people gathering for this ribbon-cutting ceremony, right? They've been working on it, waiting for it, right, for so long. And we read this. "Uh, The priest then brought the Ark of the Lord's Covenant to its place in the inner sanctuary of the temple, the most holy place, and put it beneath the wings of the cherubim. The priest then withdrew from the holy place. All the priests who were there had consecrated themselves regardless of their division, all the Levites who were musicians stood on the east side of the altar, dressed in fine linen and playing cymbals, harps, and lyres. They are accompanied by 120 priests sounding trumpets. The trumpeteers and musicians joined in unison to give praise and thanks to the Lord, accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments. The singers raised their voices in praise to the Lord and sang, He is good, His love endures forever. Then the temple of the Lord was filled with the clouds. And the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. I mean, can you imagine what it was like to be there? Can you imagine the excitement of God's people watching his presence come fill the temple? Later that day, they would sacrifice 22,000 cattle and 120,000 sheep and goats, right? Everybody ate good that night, for sure. Next, he had a great prayer life. I mean, this king could pray. We don't have time to read his prayer in 1 Kings chapter 8, his prayer of dedication to the temple. I I encourage you to check it out, but here's just an excerpt. Thousands of people, trumpets, noise, offerings. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in front of the entire community of Israel. He lifted his hands towards heaven and prayed, O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you. And all... Of heaven above or on earth below, you keep your covenant and show unfailing love to all who walk before you in wholehearted devotion. You have kept your promise to your servant David, my father. You make that promise with your own mouth and with your own hands, you fulfilled it. And now, O oh Lord God of Israel, and you can check it out, see what comes next, but he had an incredible prayer life. He also wrote three great books of Scripture known as Wisdom, right, Wisdom, Scripture, remember you got section in the Old Testament, you got the, you, got, you got the Law of Moses, you got books of history, you have wisdom, and then you have the prophets. He wrote three of the five books of wisdom, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. Here's some words that maybe he wrote that maybe he should have heeded. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, even if you're the smartest guy in every room. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Let's be honest. You wouldn't expect the guy, right, that, that, that had such a great dad, David was his dad, that, that, that made a great request where God downloaded wisdom to him, right, that received great advice from his dad, that took on a great project like building the temple of God and wrote three books of scripture to have such a lousy finish, right, to crash and burn so terribly, Toward the end, he winds up participating in sacrifices and worship that involve the sacrifice of children. But he did. I mean, have you noticed in life that a, a good start isn't enough, right? That, now, there's nothing wrong with a good start, right? But a good start is not enough to get you to the finish line or to the winner's circle, if you don't believe me, you could ask the 1969 Baltimore Orioles, right? Um, they won 109 games that year, dominated the major leagues. They're playing the New York Mets, expected to win easily. When they won game one, it looked like, hey, they got it in the bag, but guess what? Four games later it was the Mets jumping up and down and celebrating that victory. And you could, and they learned that day that a good start, Baltimore learned that day, and everyone a fan of Baltimore, you know, Orioles, that a good start is not enough to overcome a lousy finish. Another team that learned that was the 2007 New England Patriots. They had a great start. In fact, no one ever had a greater start. You know, they won all 16 games of the regular season. They won their first two games of the playoffs. And they were winning the first 3,656 seconds of Super Bowl 42. A great start. I mean, they owned the first 68,365 seconds of the 2007 season. But in the end, it was the final 35 seconds was all that mattered. And of course, the catch, right? David Tyree, has, uh, I, I still have trouble with that, right? But it, it didn't matter, right? In the end, that had a great start, but it didn't matter, Right? And what I would do in our time remaining is is to open up the black box of Solomon's life. How did that happen? You know, how can we avoid that happening in our life as well? You know, how, how do we refuse to fade? And, you know, as I worked on this message, there's a song by a group called Casting Crowns that popped into my mind. Maybe you've heard it. It's called Slow Fade. Here's some of the words. It's a slow fade when you give yourself away. It's a slow fade when black and white have turned to gray. Thoughts invade, choices are made, a price will be paid when you give yourself away. People never crumble in a day. Daddies never crumble in a day. Families never crumble in a day. You know, no one sets out to wreck their life, right? Or their home, or their marriage, their career, their reputation. But listen, there are decisions, there are steps, there are choices that can lead even the best of people like Solomon, right, to crash and burn. And if we don't want that to happen, see, when we open up the black box of Solomon's life, we we discover five fatal flaws that led to him crashing and burning and not finishing strong. And if you want to run the race well and not and, and not crash and burn. First of all, don't leave wiggle room in your commitment. Everybody wiggle. No, just kidding. Check this out. Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given by his father, David. And the very next word is what? Except. I mean, we don't really need to read past that six-letter word, do we? I, I mean, once you read that word, except you know that the guy's in trouble. He, he followed God, he loved God, except that he offered sacrifices and burnt incense on the high places. Now, the high places are, are, are where um, the Canaanites worshipped their gods. And God said, when you go in there, I want you to show all those high places. And they said, you know what? Those are pretty nice places. Got a great view. Let's not destroy them. You know what we can do? We can actually offer incense to our God there. It's closer, right? More convenient. We don't have to go all the way to the temple to worship God, right? No big thing. We're, just, we're not going to worship foreign gods there. We're just going to keep those things and offer incense to God, all right? It, it didn't turn out to be such a good idea. He showed love for God, except. Now try that at home if you're married, guys. Baby, I love you and I'll be faithful to you, except, right? And see how that works, right? I mean, it doesn't matter what comes after the word except, right? That's not going to work. You see, if we begin our walk with God with an exception clause, we'll never arrive at full devotion, right? I think John Orberg was the first guy I heard that said 95% devotion to God is 5% short. Hey, but 95% is good, right? Hey, imagine you're being wheeled into surgery and you're not quite out yet, right? You're feeling happy because they give the happy juice, but they haven't knocked you out yet and you're you're happy. And you see a sign saying, hey, all our surgical instruments are 95% sterile, right? Would you go like, whoa, 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 time out? Time out, I'm hopping off this thing until you're 100% sterile, right? You see, God wanted to create a a healthy, sterile environment for the growth of his people. But Solomon thought, hey, you know what? 95% is good enough. Partial commitment is good enough. And what that did, it led in, in effect, some spiritual germs that wound up infecting his life and the life of the nation. Again, one way to crash and burn is to allow some wiggle room. And our commitment. Question Are you trying to follow God Follow God with an exception clause? I love you, God, and I'll follow you, except another way to refuse to fade is don't assume that you are an exception to the rules. Solomon's a smart guy, you know, he knew what God commanded. Matter of fact, he wrote down some of those commands, like the one we read trust your heart, your heart don't lean on your own understanding, right? He knew that obeying God would result in blessing and that disobeying God would result in, in terrible consequences. But obviously he decided, you know what, I'm an exception to the rule. In Deuteronomy 17, God said exactly what he expected of his king. He said this, God commanded the king moreover, Deuteronomy 17:16 must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them For the Lord has told you, you're not to go back that way again. What Solomon did. Solomon accumulated chariots and horses. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horses, which he kept in the chariot cities and also with him in Jerusalem. And guess where he got those horses from? Yeah, Egypt. But God commanded his king, he must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. That's what God commanded. What Solomon actually did. King Solomon Whoever loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, he had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. And his wives led him astray. What God commanded. He must not accumulate, Deuteronomy 17, 17, large amounts of gold and silver. What Solomon actually did. The weight of the gold that Solomon received yearly was 666 talents, which is 25 tons or 800,000 Ounces, not including the revenue from merchants and traders from all the Arabian kings and the governors of the land the king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones and cedar as plentiful as sycamore fig trees in the foothills you see he knew what God commanded but he just thought hey you know what they don't actually apply to me I'm an exception to the rule we can fall in the same trap right I know God commands me to love my wife as Christ loved the church. I know God commands me to forgive those who hurt me, to bring the whole tithe to the storehouse, to maintain my sexual purity, to share my faith, to control my tongue, to not gossip or slander, to respect those in authority, to be a servant, to put others before myself. But Are there any commands that you feel, or, or, or should I say, are any are there any commands of God that you are living out? Well, they don't really apply to me. I know God said that, and but I'm an exception to that rule. That's a sure way, right, to begin to crash and burn. Another way thing you need to do is don't look for meaning in all the wrong places. Solomon did. Smartest guy in the world, and he looked for meaning and and satisfaction and contentment in all the wrong places. I mean, how could the smartest guy in every room fall into that trap? I I think maybe part of the reason is, as I study this, is that for the first 11 years of his reign, right, he was laser focused on a project, right? Building God's temple. That's what I got to do. That's what I'm about. Problem was, he had 29 years left, the reign. And I think once the temple was built, that's when he began to lose his focus and his intimacy with God. You see, I think that Solomon, you know, that began to think it was about building, it was about a building project rather than walking with God and bringing him glory. And you may want to write this down on your heart at home and hear that. See, it's not about the project. It's not about the task. It's about intimacy with God. It's about walking with God. It's not about the task. And we can be task-oriented. It's not about the task, right? It's not about the project. It's ultimately about your intimacy with God and walking with him. He tried to find meaning in a bunch of different things. He tried education. Didn't work. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also, and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. He tried to find it in pleasure, Ecclesiastes 2.1. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. He tried to find meaning in alcohol, you know, escape, numb, the pain of life. Ecclesiastes 2, three. I tried cheering myself with wine. He tried accomplishments, Ecclesiastes 2.4. I took on great projects. He tried to find meaning in stuff. I owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself. He tried to find meaning in sexuality. I acquired a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I deny my heart nothing my eyes desired. I refuse no pleasure. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had told to achieve, everything was meaningless and chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. You know, trying to find meaning in education and pleasure and accomplishments and alcohol and stuff and money and sex. Does that sound familiar? I mean, not only the people in the world, right? There are people who follow Christ who are still trying to find meaning not in Christ, but meaning in their accomplishments or their education or their stuff or pleasure or money. And listen, Solomon had more of those things than everybody listening right now added together. And it didn't work for him and it's not going to work for you. You see, there's only one place where we can find true and lasting meaning and fulfillment. And Jesus taught us that, right, in John 4, woman at the well. You know these words. Everyone who drinks this water, if I just had more money, if I just had a new relationship, right? If I just had more stuff, I just experienced more pleasure. If I just got that degree, if I just got more praise for people, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. It, I think he's telling the truth, right? Do we trust him? Indeed, the water I give them will become in them. A spring of living water welling up to eternal life. You know, the prophet Jeremiah talked about this living water that God offers us. And he said in Jeremiah 2, verse 13, really a poignant verse. He says, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water. Right? God says, hey, here's all the water. Here's all the meaning. Here's all the contentment. Here's all the satisfaction that you will ever need. And they said, no. And instead, they dug their own cisterns. You know what? Accomplishments, pleasure, sex, money, stuff, praise of people. But they were broken cisterns, and they could not hold water. You see, one way to have a lousy finish is to look for meaning in all the wrong places. Another way is to fail to address areas of struggle. Okay? Solomon had an area of struggle just like his dad, right? You know what it was? Women, right? You know, he liked women. He liked women too much. And Scripture tells us in Ecclesiastes verses chapter 11, 1 through 3, that he, had, he loved many foreign women, even though God said not to, and that these foreign women led him astray. I mean, he had an area of struggle. He knew it was wrong. He knew it's not what God wanted. He knew what God said about marriage, but he kept doing whatever he wanted and he failed to address an area of struggle. Do you have an area of struggle that you have refused to address? I mean, you know it's wrong, you know it's destructive. You know it's not what God wants, but nevertheless, you ignore what you know to do what you want. Understand, spiritual strength is not simply about knowing the will of God. It's about doing the will of God, right? And not, not just about knowing the will of God, it's about doing the will of God, and so Raise your hand in this room at home if you have an area of struggle. And if you don't raise it, honesty is your area of struggle, right? You know, seriously, you know. But what is it, right? Is it pride? Is it anger? Is it your tongue? Is it your attitude? Is it sexuality? Is it love for money and stuff? I mean, what's your area of struggle? What are you doing about it? Are you doing anything? You know, some things you could do is you could be accountable to somebody, Right? a trusted person, say, look, this is an area of struggle. And you could, as a friend of mine, Mark Bore says, you know, that if you have an area of struggle and you have not memorized at least three scriptures that deal with that, you're not serious about overcoming it. So if you have an area of struggle, is it your anger? You know, go in the Bible, find three scriptures that talk about anger, memorize those scriptures, the Holy Spirit will burn them on your heart, and when you're about to get anger, guess what? The Holy Spirit will bring it to mind and help you defeat that area of struggle. And lastly, uh, a way to crash and burn, or not to crash and burn, is don't ignore corrective words from God. Yeah, right after the temple was dedicated, God shows up and speaks to Solomon. I, I, and he already knows that, he knows that Solomon has left some wiggle room, right? Because he hasn't turned down those high places. So he comes to Solomon and, and, and he warns him. He says, hey, if you turn away, Solomon, you'll be cut off from the land Israel be cut off from the land. He says, Israel will become a byworld, byword, and, and be ridiculed by all people. And the temple that you are so proud of will be reduced to rubble. So God warns him. And Solomon did what? He ignored the warning. And then after he crashed and burned, and God showed up and spoke to him. Now remember when David got confronted with this sin, right? And he says, I've sinned against the Lord, right? He, he, he repented. Uh, unfortunately, I, I, I'm not sure Solomon did, right? The scripture doesn't say he repented. We don't read about him tearing down all those altars to false gods. And, and I've always kind of wondered, okay, why is this dude left out of uh, Hebrews chapter 11? I don't know, maybe? not not sure. These things are written in the past to teach us and give us hope and encouragement. These things were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. And so God wrote about Solomon's life so that we could open the black box and see how this guy who had it all, right, who had a great start, crashed and burned. And if we do not want his story to become our story, if we want to refuse to fade, then don't leave any wiggle room in your life. It, don't assume that you're the exception to the rules. Don't look for meaning in all of the wrong places. Don't fail to address areas of struggle. Don't ignore corrective warnings from God. We have one final journal entry from Solomon. And I don't know if it was written as a sign of repentance or of remorse and regret, but it's a powerful takeaway. His last journal entry to us, Ecclesiastes 12.13. Now, all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Again, I don't know if it was repentance or remorse why he wrote it. I don't know. But here's what I do know is that if there if we have some flaws like Solomon in our life right now that can maybe lead to us not having such a great finish. Here's what I do know. There's still time. There's still time to finish strong. There's still time to finish well because the race is not over, right? It's not over. I mean, do you want to finish strong? Now, the race is not an easy one. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, right, you'll get tired, you'll get knocked down, you will struggle. You see an image there. I don't know if you know what this is. You can look it up, watch it on YouTube. This is Hawaii, 1982, the Iron Man. And that's a lady named Julie Moss. And she was in the leg of the Marathon. The Iron Man is where you swim 2.4 miles. You bike 112 miles then you run 26.22 miles, right? I'd hate to drive in a car, 26.22 miles. And she has the lead, two miles to go, and she's dehydrated, and her body begins to shut down, and she falls down, and she gets back up, and she falls down, and has a hard time getting back up, and she hears a voice say to her, you know, get up, take charge of the situation. And after the fourth time, she she, she couldn't, she couldn't get back up again. You know, and as the, the person passed her, she called it the pretty bond lady with the ponytail, <laughs> you know, uh, passed her, she paused like for 25 seconds. But then she crawled the rest of the way to the, to the finish line. And, and what she said later, it's that it, she felt that it was not about winning, but it was about not giving up on herself. And and when she, when she touched the finish line, she rolled over and she looked up at the moon and she says, I am worthy of being an Iron Man. You know, you may be tired. You may be broken. You may have messed up big time. And, but it's never too late to say, God, I will Listen to your corrective warnings, God. I will address my areas of struggle. I will start, stop assuming that your commands do not apply to me. I will leave no wiggle room in my commitment, and I will look for meaning and purpose only in you. Uh, church, when when you refuse to fade, you, you ever felt like that? I have. <laughs> when you refuse to fade, when you refuse to give up, when you keep pressing toward the finish line, even if you have to crawl, you will find yourself in the arms of Jesus, and you'll know that in Him, right? You'll know that in Him that you are a champion, right? Because God wants us to finish the race well. Father God, we love you, and and God, right now, we just pray for everyone in this room, everyone listening. Because this is about us and you right now. God, we know where we are in the race. We know if we want to give up. We know, if there, we know if we have wiggle room in our commitment, God. We, we know if there's areas we're not addressing. We know if we're looking for meaning in, in the wrong places. We know if we're ignoring your corrective warnings, God. But we also know, God, that you love us. And as one song, our listener recently says, you know that if we're not dead, you're not done. And God, if we're not dead, you're not done working in our lives. And and God, if we lean on you and trust in you, God, you will help us finish the race well. And we, and we know that in Christ, we can be a champion. So Holy Spirit, work on us. Help us not to blow off because you had these words written to warn us and to teach us. In Jesus' name, amen.